you're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 35 to 58. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. What you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same. But there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars. For star differs from star in glory. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonour. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on the immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labour is not in vain. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
you know, for the last three weeks now, we've been looking closely at chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, and in particular, the resurrection of Christ, how Jesus was raised from the dead, and in doing so, raising his faithful believers to life. It's a beautiful chapter filled with narrative, history, evidence, uh, apologetics, application. It, it's got it all. And, and with how Paul emphasizes the resurrection here, uh, the church in Corinth, uh, or to us as readers, we realize that the resurrection is not some sort of uh, tacked on feature of our Christian faith, but it is fundamental. You know, as Luke said a few weeks back in his sermon, in the resurrection of Jesus, we are assured that his death achieved something. And, you know, reading all through all of chapter 15, we read Paul highlight to the Corinthians how, how Christ's resurrection changed the whole landscape of humanity, that it's impacted their history, uh, it's brought uh, hope to their future, and it moves then uh, it moves them then and there. And you know, for us today, when we come across the word resurrection, you know, I want us to think today about three things. Three things in particular. Uh, first is that we look back. Uh, second, we look forward, and lastly, uh, we live now. So after being in chapter 15 for the past few weeks now, what's helpful for us is when we think of resurrection, we look back. So Paul begins this chapter with words for the church in Corinth to remember the gospel preached to them, the one they had received, believed, and were saved by. You know, to remember the message he gave to them earlier uh, in verse 4, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. You know, as Paul reminds the Corinthians of, of the gospel message of Jesus' death and resurrection, he has the Corinthians looking back. You know, what's the importance of them looking back, though? Well, as we've heard in verse 12, many of the Corinthians didn't believe that there was a re resurrection after death. And so Paul challenges them that if they were, if that were the case, then Jesus wouldn't have resurrected either, which then brings up a whole heap of problems. You know, their Christian faith would be in vain, useless, built on a lie, uh, which is why I think Paul starts off chapter 15 saying words such as, in accordance with scriptures, uh, saying that Jesus appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive. He appeared to James, then to all the apostles. See, Paul has the Corinthians looking back at the reality of Jesus' resurrection, that it did happen. You know, for Paul to write specific names of who Jesus appeared to and to make the claims and to make the claims some were still alive, it was his way of saying to the Corinthians, go ask them yourself. Those 500 blokes who are mostly all alive, he says, go ask them yourself if they saw Jesus alive after his death. It was quite bold of Paul because he was risking his livelihood of getting caught looking foolish and, and a complete liar by naming names uh, to affirm what he's told them. Yet he was certain. Corinthians, if you don't believe it now because you weren't there or too many years have passed, go look back. Seek those who were there and did see it. Ask them yourselves. And not only that, Paul emphasizes that Jesus' resurrection was in accordance with the scriptures. See, look back even further, Church of Corinth. Read the scriptures and you'll see this gospel of Jesus' death and resurrection was no flash-in-the-pan random event. But it's in accordance with the word. 
you know, we see in the Old Testament prophecies, such as in Isaiah 53, verse 10 to 11 says, Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt. He shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. See, Jesus' resurrection was in accordance to God's word. God already knew it would happen before it did. It was part of his divine plan. God, he is in control of it all. So Corinthians, look back and see for yourself the truth of the resurrection. It's amazing to think that there were people doubting this resurrection of Jesus, what, 20, 30 years after it happened? That's not long. So imagine living on the side of, what, 2,000 years from when it happened? You know, while Paul says in this letter that some of those that saw the risen Christ are still alive, but some have fallen asleep, he says. It's probably safe to say that all of them are well asleep now. But while we don't have that privilege to go ask Cephas, to go find James, to go find one of the 500 of what they witnessed, I think when we look, when we think of the resurrection, we still look back, you know, and we do so with the word of God, scripture, the Bible. We read and know that this word is God-breathed, authoritative and true, living and active. You know, in a world 2,000 years on from such a history-changing event, we are able to look back in this book, in the book of life, and be reminded of the gospel preached to us, the one which we have received, the one which we stand and which we hold fast to. You know, littered all through the gospels, the letters, all through scripture, We'll read of witnesses of the risen Christ. You have Acts chapter 1 verse 8. You have Luke chapter 24 verse 48. Acts 21 and 22. People who died believing with utmost confidence that they would indeed be raised to life because their saviour Jesus had been raised to life. You know, for some of us, uh, there might be moments in our Christian life where the idea of uh, the resurrection seems a little distant. I mean, we live in a society where seeing is believing. And the reality of what is in front of us right then and there trumps what happened before us, long before us. You know, really, you think about it, for us today, our culture, history is literally history. Yeah, and, and I think the enemy loves this. You know, Satan will feed into this to try to tempt us in, in subtle ways that the resurrection didn't happen or that it really didn't achieve anything. So just like the Christians in Corinth, for us today, we should look back, go into the word of God, go into the Bible and look back at the truth, the power, the victory of the resurrection. And like the Corinthians, we're, able, we're then able to see that truly the gospel of Christ's death and resurrection was in accordance with the scriptures. See, looking back helps us see that our faith uh, isn't in vain, that by Jesus rising as he said he would means everything he says was true that he is who he says he is the savior king sent by a faithful father and i think the beauty of looking back when we think of the resurrection is that we're reminded of a faithful god and that it was indeed in his plan and he faithfully fulfills it 
that we have a faithful God who had a plan to save us through his own sacrifice. And he does it. See, looking back reminds us of a God who is indeed sovereign in control and is faithful, which helps us lead into our next thought when thinking of the resurrection, and that's that we look forward. You know, I was reading an article where uh, year, not for, not years, but um, age, kids age four and five uh, were asked the question of what they think it's like after a person passes away. Uh, and here's some of the responses. Uh, it looks like gold, one boy said, and you see loads of statues. Another, they'll be playing my favourite song, Captain Jake and the Neverland Pirates, forever. Another, maybe they're allowed to touch lava because they're dead. Lastly, one kid said, you turn into an angel with very pretty wings and that they got sparkles and God is a boy with a nice white shirt. You know, adorable, adorable answers. Wrong, but adorable. Just kidding, that was a bit harsh on the kids. Lovely, lovely answers, right? But we know that this question is definitely one that comes across our lifetime in some way or another. You know, believer, like if you're a Christian or not, this question of what happens after will arise for everybody and they'll have to ponder it sometime in their life. See, the Corinthians had the same question when it came to the resurrection of the dead, as in what happens to us after we pass? And for a lot of them, the thinking was that of the body and the soul being sort of detached from one another, that after death, the soul would leave the corrupted body and it would be more of like an uh, you know, ethereal being living eternally in the afterlife. And then this is, this is why it was quite a, a stumbling block for the Corinthians to grasp the resurrection, uh, as they couldn't really fathom the body, which they associate with corruptness, to, to continue on in the afterlife. They had a sort of dualistic understanding of the nature of humans. And it's something that many still believe in today, that the afterlife is a release from our mortal bodies as we float into the, you know, float into the netherworlds, uh, maybe a bodiless existence where we are finally free. Uh, and so in verse 35 to 49 of chapter 15, we essentially have Paul confronting this misunderstanding, telling them that, first of all, God is powerful and capable to choose and create the body. Powerful to create all sorts of bodies, actually, God is. The sun, the moon, the stars, humans, the birds, the fish, all animals, as he says in verse 39 to 41. So, of course, he is powerful enough to raise this corruptible, perishable body into that which is imperishable. That God in his almighty power can raise our bodies in glory. You know, sown in weakness, raised in power. Verse 49 says, Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. That while like that we that while we, like the first human Adam, are born in his likeness, in Adam's likeness as humans, the second Adam, Jesus, our Saviour, who bore our sins on the cross and was raised to life to defeat sin's stranglehold on us, upon our earthly death we are resurrected in life. In glory, our bodies literally transformed, a change, a transformation of quality. You know, as verse 51 says, our bodies will all be changed in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. You know, the last trumpet signifying the return of Christ in in the culmination of our present life um, as our present life moves to eternity. 
You know, God in his power will at the end transform his people, those who are asleep, those that are, as in no longer alive, but are past and are waiting till the final day, as well as those faithful believers who aren't asleep, you know, those that are alive during the time Christ does indeed return. So as this same God who had a plan of salvation through the death and resurrection of Jesus, the same God who's in, who is in control of, of it all, who is faithful, this faithful God provides for us this transformation to the resurrection body, the glorified eternal body, not detached from everything we see here and becoming incomprehensible in eternity. You know, while we can't predict what our resurrection body will look like, uh, as it's just completely out of our realm of experience, we can be sure that it will be glorious. As it says in verse 43, it is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. I think it's hard for us to imagine because our natural instinct is to picture only, picture only what we know or, or experienced or seen. And when we think of the natural body, we imagine one that is what? That's perishable. We know our bodies are extremely fragile. I mean, I've got gout, mate. It's tough. And I'm only, I got it when I was 21. Anyway, I just wanted a gout shout out to those out there with gout. I feel you. I feel your pain. We or people close to us have health issues that range in severity, right? We know that there's disease, sickness, decay in our natural bodies. But while natural, the change in the resurrection body when Jesus returns is one that is supernatural. We look at verse 44 to 46. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there's also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. You know, there's a great quote from a writer, theologian Stephen, um, who says, The transformation of the body consists in its being infused and recreated by the life-giving spirit of Jesus. It is a move from a natural body to a supernatural body. From the immortal, from the mortal, sorry, to immortal. The body is still present. Maybe the, the closest glimpse might be when Jesus himself was seen after his resurrection. You know, as the women, the disciples, the 500 people witnessed Jesus, witnessed him. Jesus was, what, recognizable? He ate. He had scars even. It, 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 there was even some wild stuff like how they saw him potentially walk through walls in John chapter 20. But now the point isn't to envision us, you know, walking through walls as, as the key takeaway here. Uh, but to see, the, I think the key point is to, to see that our bodies will, by the power and plan of God, be one day transformed for the eternity, beyond our normal comprehension, yet beautifully clear when it happens, as it's from a faithful and almighty God. Now, isn't that something we should look forward to? We look forward to the, the beauty of this epic transformation. We look forward to our resurrection bodies being far more glorious than our present ones, fitted for eternity. We look forward to having resurrected bodies not detached from who we are now, but able to comprehend who we are, able to recognize each other in eternity. No more disease, decay, destruction, the natural together with the supernatural. Our fallen likeness of Adam 
changed to the glorious likeness of the second Adam, Jesus. See, when we think about the resurrection, we look forward. Why? From verse 40, 54, when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. See, the sting is not in death. It's in sin. When sin hasn't been dealt with, death death is the worst thing possible. Its ally is, is the law, because the law points to the standard required of living to a holy and just God, right? Yet one that we could never, ever reach. The law uh, is unable to bring people to salvation. If anything, it condemns us all because we see how, far, how short we fall from the law. But Christ's death and resurrection brought victory over sin. He paid the price for us. Christ is victorious over death. He abolished it. He satisfied the law's claims. You know, in Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, it says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. You know, and also, as Leon Morris puts it, Christ has replaced the reign of sin with that of grace. He has drawn its sting. You see, and at the climax of it all, what we look forward to is the destruction of death itself. The final culmination of this life brings Jesus' return and defeating death for good. You know, one writer uh, sums it well in a paragraph. On the last day, believers will find themselves both innocent of the guilt of sin and free of the power and presence of sin. This chapter, chapter 15, is ultimately about the execution of God's plan secured by Christ's death and resurrection and guaranteed by his continuing reign and ultimate destruction of his enemies to bring about the complete renewal of humanity and creation. Not only will the ultimate enemy, death, be destroyed, but every trace of its causes and consequences, every one of its allies and partners will be removed. See, there is victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. As a believer of Jesus, this is a huge part of our hope, that we look forward to his return, that we no longer be under the stain of sin and death, but that we're raised imperishable and immortal as we spend eternity with our holy, holy God. See, when we look back, we're reminded of the grace of a saviour God who, who faithfully sacrificed himself for us, uh, was raised to life in accordance with his plan and will. When we look forward we're reminded of our great hope that one day we too will be resurrected in glory and beauty only through the victory of Christ and what he's done for us. And both, looking back and forward, both lead us to our final thought on the resurrection. Verse 58, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labour is not in vain. See, as the resurrection has us looking back and looking forward, it finally has us 
living now. See, I love that Paul ends this whole chapter on the resurrection with this appeal to the church of Corinth. You're reminded of the gospel message that Christ did indeed live, die and raise to life in accordance with the scriptures. You're reminded of the future hope that Christ will return and bring victory over death, where his followers will be transformed in glory to live in eternity with him. Now, now that you know this, Corinthians, you're reminded by this, you believe this, you hope in this, now live by it. Live now, knowing the weight, the grace, the hope, and the glory of the resurrection. Let it impact how you live now. Be steadfast, immovable. See, the Corinthians were often fickle in their faith, moving from one position to the other without real reason. But Paul tells them to remain steadfast, stand firm. The gospel fulfilled the plan according to the scriptures. People witnessed the resurrected Messiah. Stand firm in the truth that God has a plan for all people and all things, and he is faithful. For us today, now, when we're rocked uh, in in our faith by the winds of, of culture and opinion, look back at the resurrection and be reminded of a gracious God who is almighty, faithful, and in control. And hold on to this truth. Hold on to this truth. We can be steadfast, immovable, not because of who we are or what we've done, but because of Christ, who in God's divine plan through his resurrection has given us victory. Again, Stephen Army says, the Christian's motivation for steadfastness is not his own winning, but the winning of Christ. So we live now in steadfastness, immovable, standing firm in the truth of the resurrection and what it has achieved always abounding in the work of the Lord. You know, that's a call to action. I think, I believe that's a call to action. You know, as the people of God, knowing the truth of the resurrection and the glory to come, Paul calls us to be proactive now. We know of the coming triumph and victory over all our adversaries, adversaries, sorry, even death itself from the blood-bought work of Christ. So live now for the Lord. The resurrection should stir us, bring us determination to to abound completely in in the work of such a gracious and faithful Lord. You know, these past few months, we've read all throughout 1 Corinthians what abounding in the work of the Lord looks like. We're stirred to walk in spiritual wisdom, not earthly wisdom. So the resurrection tells us it's eternity that reigns, not the world. We're convicted to repent of our sins as the resurrection tells us that Jesus bought it for a price. We're challenged to to flee from idolatry and and immorality. As the resurrection tells us that glory is not in the now, but not yet. We're urged to pursue unity with other Christians. As the resurrection tells us of our future glory in union with each other in the presence of our Lord. We're entrusted to use our spiritual gifts for the benefit of the church as the resurrection tells us to reflect the body of Christ to the world in need of a saviour. We're pressed to give up our rights for the good of others, as the resurrection displays that in full in Jesus' sacrifice. We're called to love one another with Christ-like love, as the resurrection tells us of our God who first loved us. See, the resurrection makes us look back, makes us look forward, that we may live transformed now to be overflowing in the work of the Lord, knowing that our labor is not in in vain, 
See, the beauty of living impacted by the resurrection is that we can trust that it's not all pointless. There's an eternity to come, a permanency unlike any other, one filled with glory, with beauty and victory. See, Jesus was raised from the dead that those who wholeheartedly believe in him will one day too be raised. So let's live today, now, devoted to the things that are most permanent. Every day, every day, looking back at the resurrection, looking forward to the resurrection, and living today transformed by the power of our risen Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you out of your grace and mercy that you gave us your son Jesus and you raised him to life in victory, Lord. There is victory in the name of Jesus, Holy Father. And as we see Paul speak to the first Corinthians and speak to us as the church, that we're able to look back and see that this was in your plan. It was according to the scriptures that you had a divine plan to save us, Heavenly Father, through your son Jesus. And Lord, in that we have a future hope that we can look forward, waiting for that time that as we believe in the resurrected Christ, that we too will one day be resurrected, fitted for eternity, that we may live in eternity with you, in your presence. And Lord, knowing these things, let it impact us now. Let us see that what we have here is fleeting, but we are called to live a life abounding in your work, Heavenly Father, to bring glory to you, to worship you. So Lord, transform us now. Let us not wait to be transformed. We wait for that, for the, for the fulfillment of the full transformation from you, Lord, but we live transformed now as you have saved us and you have changed our lives as we call you our Saviour. Thank you so much for all that you've given us. We pray this in your son's holy name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.